Good morning, everybody. It's sure good to see you. Five of us are fresh off of a uh, very inspirational trip to Ethiopia. Uh, my wife, Deanlin, uh, daughter, and son-in-law, Jenna and Brett Bishop, along with uh, one of our Oak Hills ministers, Mark Tidwell, spent about seven days in eastern Africa over the last couple of weeks. We traveled with the president of and a team from an organization called World Vision. And you're probably aware of World Vision. They're, they target the poorest of the poor and uh, dedicate themselves to children. And during the year uh, 2010, we hope to help them uh, raise up uh, 25,000 sponsors for 25,000 kids. Uh, not going to be an easy task, but we're going to take it on. So this was a survey trip to explore the work that they do in Ethiopia. And uh, just another way that Oak Hills is a part of reaching into the uttermost parts of the earth. Thanks to Randy Frazee for the filling in while I was uh, gone and also the blessing of taking the trip from the elders and Randy. And it's just a good season in which we're in. I'll be talking to you a lot about this initiative here in the next few months. But for now, we need to take our survey and see how many of you are real Christians and brought your Bibles with you. Hold them up high because Randy and I are doing the survey. We're going to really check, hoping that maybe even it'll multiply by the end of the service. I think we're almost to 100%, Randy. Almost. Almost. Maybe by the end of the service there will be even two or three more that, that multiply. Way to go, everybody. Can you believe we're in the last chapter of the story? We started last, last September in the uh, book of Genesis. And here we find ourselves now in the book of Revelation. Let's pray together, and then we'll get to work. Heavenly Father, clear our minds, open our hearts, touch our spirits, and draw us to you now with your word. We pray, Father, that you'd please bless our senior minister, Randy Frazee, with courage and vision and insight. Bless his wife and family. Pray that you'll bless our elders and all those who serve you in the different expressions of Oak Hills. And we pray that you'd please forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for they are many. And we pray that we could see Jesus, just Jesus, through Christ we pray. And all the church said, If I want to watch television on Sunday evenings with my wife, Deanlin, there's really only one choice. Because she watches one show. It's called Extreme Home. How did you know that? You were saying that before I even got close to it. Well, I think it's a great show. And it's built upon a wonderful plot. The producers, uh, as you know, if you've seen it, it's a reality television show, and they go into a city and they isolate a case of a uh, struggling and yet very selfless family. And they raise their house, just to just, just take their old house to the ground, and they construct, with the help of volunteers, a new house. And there's one point at the show in which, I mean, it is something else. The point in which this family sees for the first time the new house. And between them and the new house is this bus. And so the announcement, the, the shout, the chant that they give to uh, uh, create a moment where the family can see the house for the first time is... Bus. 
You already know this. I don't need to preach today. You know everything. Uh, and, and, and so they'll shout, move that bus, move that bus. And it's unlike anything you've ever seen. In fact, take a look and see what it's like when this happens. I got out of the limo. I felt love come flying at me, and I could do nothing but suck it up like a sponge. The only other experience I had to compare it to was the day that we came back from Iraq, and everybody had turned out and were just cheering us on. It seemed like it was a ceremony to honor me and my family. I can't wait to show you what's behind this bus, because I think it really is going to give you the things back that you deserve, which is your independence and your freedom. You ready to see what's behind this bus? Yeah. <laughs> can we say that yes. magical word? You certainly can. You guys know what to say? Say it with me. Here we go. Bus driver. did I tell you? I can't wait to see the same thing happen to you. When your heavenly father unveils to you for the very first time this place that he right now is creating. I do not know if there will be an angel that says, move that cloud. <laughs> but that expression on your face, and in that moment, every headache, heartache, hassle you've had in life will melt away like ice on a July sidewalk, and it's going to all be worth it. This is the promise of the book of Revelation. The promise that in the end, God wins. It's tough now. It's hard now. It's challenging now. It's not fair now. There's inequity now. There's hunger now. There's thirst now. There's loneliness now. There are orphans now. There's sin now. But in the end, God wins. This is the promise of the book of Revelation. That that desire that you have deep within you to see a house, to see a place, to see a, the place intended for you, that that's exactly going to happen. And wise is the person who meditates long and carefully 
on the book of Revelation. Can you imagine how this promise must have encouraged the original or the initial readers and listeners? We've observed, haven't we, that the Bible is best understood when understood as it was understood first. As we try to go back into the minds and the eyes of the original audience. And we can see what the writer had in mind. In this case, he was encouraging the Christians of the first century who were part of the persecuted church. These were the seven pillar churches of Asia Minor. And the Roman government had one goal, and that was to turn the Christian movement into a bloody smudge on the pages of history. And the people who were reading this book of Revelation or hearing it for the first time, these were people who uh, were living under the threat of Nero. These were people who knew others who had been beheaded for their faith or who were uh, cast into the cage with wild animals for their faith. These were those who knew of Christians who were being persecuted and were under the threat of persecution themselves. Why John, who's writing the letter, I'm sorry, the book of Revelation, is isolated, exiled to the island of Patmos because of his faith. And so there is a sense among the church that, that it seems like the devil's winning. It seems like the dragon of, Ly of Rome is winning. It seems like the, the monster that comes out of the abyss is going to win. <laughs> it seems like we're about to be defeated. But the big message of John through the book of Revelation is things are not what they seem. It may seem like there is devastation and defeat at the doorstep. But that's not the case because we're barely into the book of Revelation and we realize that Jesus is right here in Revelation chapter 1 beginning in verse 8 or if you want to look on the top of page 380 Jesus says I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end says the Lord God who is and was and is to come the Almighty so high above Rome and preceding and succeeding Nero is Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the preceding Alpha, the succeeding Omega. And as we read, we see how he conquers Hades. He conquers the dragon. He conquers the beast. He conquers the false prophet. He conquers all who sponsor evil. Jesus knows our name. He knows our pain. And he's right here in the midst. Look at the third paragraph on page 380 I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the seven lampstands was someone like a son of man John here sees Jesus standing in the center of the lampstands and Jesus explains to John that the seven lampstands are the seven churches by the way welcome to the book of Revelation this is how the book of Revelation comes at you. It comes at you in images, in numbers, in symbols, in sounds. This lampstand scene is just a sampling of, of the vernacular of the book of Revelation. It, it comes in pictures and it comes fast. It's ever moving. It's ever changing. A halo encircled throne. Lightning, then rumblings and peals of thunder. There's a seven sealed scroll. A harp 
then bowls of incense and a quartet of horses and then the moon becomes sackcloth and the I'm sorry the sun becomes sackcloth and the moon takes on the color of blood and and then all of a sudden the new Jerusalem glistening as she is and glowing as she is descends from heaven and out of the heart of the new Jerusalem comes a river of, of, of flowing life and then there's the tree of life and John just keeps coming up with these images he has one vision after another it's like he has a palette and the palette is full of metaphors and pictures and more than once a person has read the book of Revelation and read these images and scratched their head and said what is this what is this well what this is is a book of images a book of pictures it's more see if this works it's more Tolkien than technical it's more Lord of the Rings than how-to manual it's more a picture it, it, it speaks more to imagination than to systematic thinking if you're the kind of person who loves a how-to manual the book of Revelation is going to be a little tough for you because it's not a construction book if you like that you've got the book of Romans that's a systematic unpacking of the faith but when you come to the book of Revelation you need imagination you need to kind of ride with it and kind of flow with it and let it carry you don't miss the rainbow by counting the raindrops I think we get into trouble when we press every detail and dissect every image the book of Revelation is a, is a flowing of, of images that are above all cultures and above all generations that are intended for all times. For example, the lampstands, the seven lampstands. We can get that. What does a lampstand do? It bears light. And there are seven lampstands, the seven churches. And the number seven appears in the book of Revelation 54 times. And throughout scripture, the number seven suggests completeness. So the wonderful message here is that Jesus is in the midst of the completeness of his churches. He's walking among them. He's walking among the church at Smyrna, the church at Laodicea, the church at Oak Hills, the church in Ethiopia. He's walking among his church. He has not abandoned and will never abandon his churches. And he will always stay with his churches because God is on the throne. Here's what could be the big punchline of the book of Revelation. It's in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. After this I looked, and there before me standing, excuse me, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. John is given a glimpse of heaven. And when he enters heaven, the first thing he sees is a throne. And the big thing about the throne is not the size or the shape or the beauty or the make of it, but what? The fact that someone is, someone is sitting on it. Someone's on the throne. You just think Rome is running the world. Ha! God is on the throne. You just think that Washington is calling the shots. Wrong. God is on the throne. Right in the middle of the universe, there is a throne. 
And God is running the world from the throne. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. This is not a passive king who occupies the throne, but an active king who is stirring atmosphere, who is stirring the world, who is changing the political climate. And then there are circles around the throne. There's the, there are the, cir there's the circle of the elders, 24 elders, probably representing the 12 patriarchs and the 12 pa uh, apostles, the old dispensation and the new dispensation. All the people of faith are gathered around the throne. And then around that circle are the angels and the creatures. And everyone that's pictured in this scene is looking not out at the beauty of heaven, but at the beauty of the throne. Because right at the center of all that there is, is a throne. And upon that throne is God. By the way, a good sub-point here, you're not on that throne. <laughs> Nor am I. In the Christian life, it's all about acknowledging that somebody is already on the throne. And it's not me. And God has his own agenda. And God has his own work. And I'm not the center of his activity. He knows us and he loves us. But he himself is the one who receives the worship. And he is seated on the throne. Now the fact that he is seated on the throne in no way suggests that there are no problems in life. Just the opposite. As we read forward in the book of Revelation, we read page after page of problems and plagues and difficulties as if to say there are still challenges that are going to face the church from now on for example the scroll is delivered and the scroll is sealed with seven seals and the scroll represents the message of God or the big story of God what we've been discussing as we've been reading the Bible and no one can really open it up except Jesus himself and that's a picture of what Jesus came to the earth to do, to unveil the story of God. But when Jesus opens the scroll, there is initially great worship, but then there is a flood of plagues and problems and struggles because the battle continues between right and wrong, between God and Satan. And so then there are the flood of, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, seven problems, seven challenges. And yet, and yet at the end, there is the conquering Christ who claims his children. He says, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our own God on their foreheads. The sealing of the saints suggests that God's people will be protected even in the midst of the challenges that they face. God has bought us and he owns us. This is a good picture of what we call the upper story and the lower story. The turmoil stirs down here in the lower story with plagues and problems and disease and death. But the upper story, God is on the throne, and the message of Christ, the conqueror, continues. You keep reading through the book of Revelation, and you see it over and over and over again. He prevails over the moral calamities in chapter 9, the demon, uh, of chapter 8, the demonic forces of chapter 9, the dragon in chapter 12, and the beast of chapter 13. And it begins to dawn on us as we read through the book of Revelation that God always wins. There are challenges, but God always wins. And then we come to the climax of the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Here it is, the big picture. And in my estimation, this paragraph is so important 
that it deserves every highlighter in your house and it needs to be underlined and memorized and I would like to suggest as we read it here at the climax of the book of Revelation indeed the whole Bible that we stand out of respect for the promise this passage brings would you stand please listen to what John says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life be seated. At a certain point on our trip to Ethiopia, I prayed with a family as we stood in front of their humble clay dwelling. And we prayed about heaven. And we prayed these words. 45% of the people in Ethiopia live on less than a dollar a day, and this family was one of them. And we prayed about the day that a new house, a new dwelling, that God would come. The Ethiopian women, when they feel deep emotion within them, have an unusual way of expressing it. Forgive me for even attempting to repeat it. But it has to do with the moving of the tongue in a high-pitched voice, kind of a... And as I began to pray about heaven, with my hand upon this woman and her husband I felt from within her this I had never heard anything like that in my life but the idea of a new home of equity of fairness of justice and the promise of God being in the midst of his people she could not contain the emotion and it occurred to me that no matter what generation you live, no matter in what nation you're born, there is this desire that we have for God to move that bus 
right? Don't you, don't you have this desire, this longing for that day to come? And this is the promise of the book of Revelation. Yes, it's a fiery book. Yes, it's a peculiar book. But yes, it's a book that's jam-packed with hope. Because in the end, there is the new Jerusalem. And this new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and settles upon the earth. And it's a huge city. The dimensions are simply immense. The way John describes it, they are 1,400 miles in each dimension. 1,400 miles high and wide and deep. Are these literal dimensions? I don't think that matters. I think what matters is that there's room for everybody. Anyone who cries out to God, anybody who places their trust in Christ, God has a place for them and his fellow conquerors his children from every nation and every generation will be with him to see the coming of the new Jerusalem and in the end God's dream will come true no I do not know if there will be an angel that says move that cloud but I do know that when we see that place we will understand every tribulation through which we passed and we will enter into a new world a new order of things that will last forever the only thing that really remains to be asked is this question will you be there will you be there we occupy ourselves in this life with so many lesser questions don't we we can dedicate so many years and decades to smaller questions of career and retirement, marriage and children. Those are significant questions. But can you believe a person can pass through their entire life and never resolve that one question about heaven and eternity? And as Randy and I bring this series of lessons to a close, the big question we want you to leave with is, will you be there? Will you be there? And if your answer is yes, God bless you. If your answer is, I don't know, then we need to talk. Better stated, you and God need to talk. Because that's an invitation he gives to you today. Randy's going to come up at this time. I thought it was so appropriate that since Randy started this study back September in the book of Revelation, that we invite him to come up and tie a ribbon around it. Let's welcome Randy back up to the front. Our journey through the story was to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to capture the big idea that God simply wants to be with us. He created the heavens and the earth so that he could create us so that he could be with us. And the story tells the extent that God would go to get us back, the giving of his own son. And he freely offers it to every single person, regardless of where you have been, regardless of what you have done, it is a gift. If you will say yes to it, then we are confident that you will hear these words, move that bus, and you will be welcomed to the place that if you say yes to it, he is preparing for you even as we speak. So we've finished the story, we've completed the journey, but we all know that while we have finished the reading,
the story is really still unfolding in our lives today as God calls us to be the presence of Jesus, the city of San Antonio and beyond. To signify the completion of the story, but yet the continuation of the story, if you'll take your program that you received when you come in, came in, you'll see on this opening flap, there is a little sticker that says, we have finished the story and the best is yet to come. We encourage you right now to take that and peel it off. And there are more available after the service. I want you to peel that off and then I want to invite everybody to take the sticker and put it on your forehead. No, I'm just kidding. That's just where Max puts his. But you might want to put it right here on your shirt or your blouse. And then later on today, it's one of those stick, re-stick kind of things. And take it and stick it uh, on your copy of the story. And uh, just as a, as a kind of a marker that we finish this thing together. But we also recognize that the best is yet to come.